0: the big picture. Sometimes it's hard to see the big picture. We can get all caught up in the personally pleasing or personally dissatisfying, and we can lose the big picture. See, something personally satisfying is not the same thing as something objectively important. The big picture is what is objectively important. That means it's important for everyone, everywhere, and all the time. See, the big picture questions are things like, well, who am I, where am I going? What do I need to do to get there? Am I going anywhere? Lots of answers to those questions, depending on your philosophy, your beliefs about God, or any number of variables in human life. But in truth, there's only one big picture answer. Easter refocuses us yearly on the big picture, Starting with the Easter Vigil, the readings from the Old Testament call us back to remember humanity's beginning, a narrative telling of our true situation in life, the human condition. Here's how Genesis describes our beginning. In the beginning, when God created the heavens and the earth, the earth was a formless wasteland and the darkness covered the abyss, while a mighty wind swept over the waters." And so here's the big picture from a beginning's perspective. Before God brought the world into his order, it was chaos. It was a wasteland. It was dark, a wind-swept abyss, hardly able to describe a more abysmal setting. As we live through the coronavirus pandemic, The forces of chaos are once again nipping at our human heels, trying to reclaim the order God brought into being, trying to reclaim at least the human order, because the coronavirus is apparently part of the order that God brought into being. How fragile the global economy is, there's a human order. The economy is volatile and endangered because this little simple virus entered humanity's complacency through an animal host, perhaps a bat or a pangolin. How easily and unexpectedly the human order is overturned by nature. We all experience the social chaos that erupted in the aisles of local supermarkets when people, fearing whether the grocery supply chains could feed them, hoarded. Toilet paper seem to be their biggest concern. A simple virus challenges our autonomy, our sense of self-sufficiency. You know, that kind of chaos uh, is only possible, it seems to be, in a culture that has a deep moral and existential chaos. Not exactly knowing who they are, what they're doing, or where they're going. The closing of churches, for instance, for fear of spreading the disease has threatened the faith of some, instead of seeing it as a charitable act that's trying to provide for community health. Politically, the pandemic has decided the Democratic candidate, perhaps the election in one way or the other, who knows, will have to wait till the fall. Will anything change? Will this pandemic actually change anything? Has it ever Well, maybe once. Creation is the constant battle between chaos and order. These are primordial realities that every culture must confront. Our sense of human autonomy is threatened when a little virus upends our plans, schemes, and the stock market. Once again, we're confronted with the truth that we live in a world we cannot, in principle, completely and absolutely control. That's the thing about control. Kind of being in control isn't really being in control. The human being is a limited creature like all creatures. Cast into a sea of chaos, we paddle like mad to stay afloat. We do pretty well in some respects, as long as everything cooperates. But that gives us an unwarranted confidence in our own power. The limitedness of human beings confronted by the powers of primordial chaos, the threat of death, That's the stuff that Easter is about. Easter is about the God-man who confronted the power of chaos, sin, and death. The resurrection is God's creative answer to the threat of chaos. This Easter, I invite you to look at your life and the world you live in through the lens of the resurrection of Jesus Christ as described in the gospel. This is Matthew's recounting of that creative turning point in human history. A sinful woman, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to the tomb. Finding it empty, an angel told her that Jesus had ridden and instructed them to tell the disciples who were in hiding about the resurrection. Rushing to do as the angel instructed, they encountered the risen Jesus. Here's what Matthew said that they did. They approached embraced his feet and did him homage. Then Jesus said to them, do not be afraid. The story of the resurrection is told in all four Gospels and in Paul's letters where he says that Jesus appeared to 500 disciples at once. What does it mean to look at the world through the lens of the resurrection? This is Oro Valley Catholic and this is Father John Arnold. And yes, he is risen. He is truly risen. Consider these two connections between the resurrection and the creation as it's set forth in the book of Genesis. And these seven readings I'm going to talk about briefly, they're all in the Easter Vigil. The church gives us to them so that we see the resurrection and its proper context. Here's the first thing the resurrection happened on the first day of the week because God is remaking the world. the sabbath is saturday not sunday the jewish people observe the torah correctly when they observe the sabbath on saturday not sunday sunday is the christian feast of the resurrection why is it important for the evangelists that jesus rose on the first day of the week that is sunday not the seventh day of week the day of rest cuz on the first day of the week in creation God created light, that is wisdom, rationality, the Logos. The Logos is a word that means intelligibility, it means word, it means meaning. In the resurrection, God is recreating the world according to a divine order, starting on the first day. At the Easter Vigil, there are seven readings, a few touch on this aspect of creation and the resurrection. The very first reading from Genesis said that on the first day. Then God said, let there be light, and there was light. God saw how good the light was. God then separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. Thus evening came, and morning followed, the first day. Did you know that John's Gospel also says that Jesus is wisdom, the logos, intelligibility? That's the Greek word that John uses the very beginning of his gospel when he says, and we read this at Christmas, in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things came to be through him and without him, nothing came to be. What came to be through him was life and this life was the light of the human race. The light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. Jesus is that divine wisdom that was with God on the very first day of creation. Uh, The Eucharist is wisdom's feast. That's God's love, his agape, his great self-emptying in love towards creation. The reading from Isaiah at the Easter Vigil touches again on this logos, his divine wisdom. Here's what Isaiah said. For just as from the heavens, the rain and the snow come down and do not return, there till they have watered the earth, making it fertile and fruitful, giving seed to the one who sows and bread to the one who eats, so shall my word be that goes forth from my mouth. My word shall not return to me void, but shall do my will, achieving the end for which I sent it. Jesus is that word referred to in Isaiah. The reading from Baruch, also at the Easter Vigil, makes the same point, but it describes wisdom in a feminine way because both the masculine and the feminine come to us from God. Appeared on earth, it says Baruch, that this wisdom that she appeared on earth and moved among people. She is the book of the precepts of God, the law that endures forever. All who cling to her will live. But those who die, who forsake her, turn, O Jacob, and receive her. Walk by her light towards splendor. The scriptures are seen as feminine because wisdom must be received. And in a philosophical sense, the feminine is the passive. The masculine is the assertive. Doesn't necessarily hold true between men and women, I agree. But we're thinking about this in a different way, in the way that scripture uh, deals with it. See, the world has this intelligible order. We don't make it up. We can only perceive it, receive it in a feminine sense. So how do we enter into this sacred order? Remember, the first thing I wanted you to think of is that the resurrection happened on the first day of the week. And it's because wisdom was made present in creation on the first day of the week when God made light, just like he sent his son, the Logos, into the world. So, The second thing I want you to see in the resurrection, and especially the readings of the Old Testament at the Easter Vigil, is how God once again uses water like he did when he separated the waters in the fourth day of creation, how he uses it again to remake the world. So let's go back to that very first reading from the very first chapter of the very first book in Holy Scripture. And it's Genesis, right? To Remember the first day God creates light. On the second day, God separated the waters and named the one up above our heads, the dome of the sky, Though we didn't actually exist yet, quite yet. He then began to populate the world on the third day with the land and the sea and the plants. On the fourth day, is when he created the sun, the moon, and the stars. They knew that the sun, the moon, and the stars gave us the physical experience, the real experience of light. But we're talking about a supernatural reality when we talk about wisdom created on the first day. Well, it's the fifth day, and God creates living creatures. On the sixth day, he makes us. The new creation ushered in by the resurrection begins with what God accomplished on the sixth day, us. But restarting creation by using waters to bring his human creation back into the divine intent for all of his creation so let's think about the scriptures again the empty tomb all the scriptures talk about the empty tomb what's it say that at the heart of reality material reality is an abyss the chaos lurks right beneath us those of us living through the coronavirus pandemic don't have much trouble believing that but the empty tomb also is the great sign of the limitedness of human life hey the mortality rate is still 100 percent death wins all the time but not in god's world god sees life differently than we see it in the material sense He sees the spiritual life and the physical life of the human person and his new creation, he brings them together into one reality. Think about these readings from the Old Testament. The second Old Testament reading at the Easter vigil right after the one about creation from uh, Genesis is also from Genesis, it's such an important book. But that second reading recalls Abraham's sacrifice of his only son, Isaac, it's in Genesis chapter 22. In that reading, if you remember the story, Abraham is commanded by God to sacrifice his son to God. At the last minute, if you remember, God's angel intervenes and a a ram is provided for the sacrifice. See, in Old Testament terms, if you were just to look at that in Jewish terms, it illustrates that the importance of the story is that Abraham obeyed God's, God's command. We should be obedient to God. But the teaching also is there is why the Jewish people don't sacrifice their children, don't sacrifice any human beings because God doesn't want us to sacrifice each other. Boy, that's a major break from some of the Mediterranean religions. Thank you to the people of Israel and the Jews in particular for bringing it forth forward to us. But this exchange between Abraham and Isaac as they walk up to the mountain to sacrifice, is important to Christians because we see a deeper meaning put there by God. Here's what it says. As the two walked on together, Isaac spoke to his father Abraham. Father, Isaac said, yes, son, he replied. Isaac continued, here are the fire and the wood, but where's the sheep for the Holocaust? Son, Abraham answered, God himself will provide the sheep for the Holocaust. And we know that God does, both in the story of Abraham and on Mount Calvary there at Golgotha on the day of the crucifixion. Because God provides a sacrifice. In John's Gospel, Jesus is sacrificed on the cross at the same time that lambs are being slaughtered in the temple precincts in Jerusalem for the Passover supper. The next reading is also important, but both of them, the one about Abraham and Isaac, And this next reading about Moses really have baptismal links. Because if you remember in John's Gospel, when Jesus is sacrificed at the same time that the lambs are sacrificed, blood and water come out of his side. An eyewitness says, John, I saw this. And they see that as the origins of the church through baptism coming from the side of the Christ, just like Eve was taken from the side of Adam. But that links made even more clear in the next reading And it's a reading from Exodus. In that third reading on uh, that Easter vigil evening, Moses led the people in Exodus 14 in their escape from Egypt. And you remember in this dramatic moment in the escape, Moses and the people have their backs to the Red Sea. Pharaoh, his chariots and his charioteers are closing in. Moses raises up his hands at God's command and the water parts, the people walk through safely. Pharaoh and his chariots and his charioteers arrogantly decide to pursue, always a bad idea when you're dealing with the God of Israel, and the waters destroy Israel's enemies, swallows them up in death. And the people go on to the promised land. You see, In baptism, when we do the baptismal rite, we read these stories. We read these stories because they're a typology, a prefiguration of the gift of baptism, of the sacrament, because sin and our own death is swallowed up in the waters of baptism. The prophet Ezekiel also describes the power of the cleansing with water in baptism. This again from the Easter Vigil in Ezekiel 36, and Ezekiel says, I will sprinkle clean water upon you to cleanse you from all your impurities and from all idols I will cleanse you. I will give you a new heart and place a new spirit within you, taking from your bodies your stony hearts and giving you natural hearts. I will put my spirit within you and make you live by my statutes, careful to observe my decrees, the link between a a baptismal cleansing and the creation of a new person. Like Pharaoh's chariots, sin is swallowed up in baptism. Like the cleansing from sin described by Ezekiel, our sins are cleansed, washed away in the waters that flows from the side of the crucified Christ. St. Paul brings this all together in the first New Testament reading at the Easter Vigil. Uh, After the glory is sung, the bells are rung, all the lights come on in the church. And then you hear St. Paul say, Brothers and sisters, are you unaware that we who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were indeed buried with him through baptism into death, so that, just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might live in newness of life. For if we have grown into union with him through a death like his, we shall also be united with him in the resurrection." We know that our old self was crucified with them so that our sinful body might be done away with, that we might no longer be in slavery to sin. Romans chapter six. The new creation is made present sacramentally in the sign of water. It's why you want to be baptized, why you want the people you love to be baptized so that you can escape sin like Moses and the people escaped Pharaoh, his chariots, and his charioteers, so that God will take from you your stony hearts, giving you a natural heart. He's remaking us. So in those readings, it's the importance of reading the resurrection in the light of a new creation and seeing that our connection, that big picture question, what are we supposed to do with our lives? Who am I? Well, I'm reborn as a child, a son of God, I'm made for eternity with God in heaven. Jesus, the resurrection, all of scripture is the answer to the big question. I wanna pull this all together at the end. So what happens? We're remade, we got a natural heart instead of a stony heart. Do you remember the story uh, that we did in Lent about Jesus and the woman at the well? And I said, and you can still listen to the podcast, it was about a wedding, because when you see a well, there's a wedding happening in the Old Testament. You see a man, you see a woman, there's a wedding happening in the Old Testament. You see God, you see a sinner, you see something more. See, thinking of the story of Israel and the story of Christ, there's one element of the resurrection that has to be mentioned. Have you noticed that in the story of the resurrection, that it is a woman who is the first witness all the time. In Genesis, it's the woman who first falls to Satan and takes the contagion of sin to her husband. In the New Testament, it's the woman who first encounters the risen Christ, believes and takes the message to the disciples. It's to the woman that Jesus says, do not be afraid. Because God is bringing salvation back into this world through a woman. We know her as the Virgin Mary. But in the story of the resurrection, Mary Magdalene, a sinner, stands in as a sinful woman who represents us, a sinful church. In the gospel, Jesus repeatedly refers to himself as the bridegroom. John the Baptist calls him the bridegroom. So you should be familiar with that. That God again, according to the Old Testament, is going to marry his people. Why? Because in Genesis, Sin begins in the rupture of the relationship between man and woman. Man and woman are at the heart of the human community. Mary Magdalene goes to Christ's tomb on that first day of the week. And yes, she is a sinner. She is a real person. But for the evangelists, she's also a typology, a representative of of the whole church, all of us present sinful at the entrance to that empty tomb all of us present, embracing the Lord's feet and hearing those words, do not be afraid. In Genesis, God placed man and woman into a garden. Our sins turned that garden into a cemetery, a place where the dead are. The wedding of God and his people, Christ and his church, the bride cleansed in the waters of baptism in preparation for the wedding feast, the Eucharist, He's remade the cemetery, the abode of the dead, to the gates to paradise. Easter's a beautiful season, even when we're separated. And so I wish you a happy Easter season, because friends, Easter is a season, not just a day. Salvation is eternal life, not just the moment of our baptism. Thank you for listening. This has been Oro Valley Catholic, Have a blessed and happy Easter, and I'm Father John Arnold.